0: John Lim here. We've got a great episode today. David C. Barnett, he's a serial entrepreneur, having started several businesses, including a commercial debt brokerage. He is also the best selling author of three books. You can learn more at his website, David C. Barnett, that's with two How are you today, David? Hey, I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on, John. No, no, thank you so much. It's an honor and a privilege. Love, love everything that you've done. And I really want to unpack some of that for our listeners. I only gave just a very brief introduction. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your amazing career and entrepreneurial journey.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, you know, John, I've always been interested in business and making money and had all those childhood businesses, you know, I, I'm from Canada. So, you know, shoveling snow out of people's driveways and, and mowing their lawns in the summertime and all that kind of thing. And I went to business school when I was done in high school too, because I thought it would turn me into a businessman, but mm-hmm. It really, what they do there is they produce, um, you know, sort of Fortune 500 bureaucrats, I guess is the best <laughs> way to put it, right? People that that shuffle paper and fit into the big machine right. of these large enterprises. And and when I got out of business school, um, I was really lucky. It was the 90s and I was able to get a job in sales with a Yellow Pages publisher. Wow. And so what that meant is I went out and I would sit face to face with business owners that owned small local businesses mm-hmm. And I would talk with them about what kind of clients they were trying to attract because back in those days if you typed plumber into Google, you'd get some guy in California. They hadn't <laughs> right. figured out you know, how to make their searches local or anything at that time. So, so I got to learn a little bit about many, many different kinds of businesses out there and it eventually led me to start my own business which I sold and then I got into commercial debt brokerage that you mentioned. And so I was helping people obtain financing and I ran into that financial crisis we had in 0708, mm-hmm. and then I had to make a make a change. And one of the things I had noticed when I was helping people arrange uh, financing for their small businesses is that there were a lot of people out there doing business transaction deals, helping people buy and sell businesses, mm-hmm. and they had no idea what they were doing. Oh wow! I, I remember one day I got a call from a banker who told me he said. Uh, Dave, I've got this lovely couple, they want to buy a convenience store, and they have a contract here for purchasing homes, and it's written up for them to buy this store, and it says that they're going to get 95% financing in 10 days. And, you know, you don't buy businesses under those kinds of conditions, Mm -hmm. and you don't buy a business with a contract created to purchase a home, because the language is entirely different. Right. Right. Homes have roofs, windows, and foundations, and businesses have receivables, payables, employees, and inventory. They're completely different kinds of things, and so I knew that right away that there was an opportunity to get into helping people buy and sell businesses. So, so I became a business broker, and I joined up with a, a big national franchise brand because they gave me access to training. Yeah. And I and I actually was the first person in my hometown to be certified as someone who can help people buy and sell businesses. And th- I did the business brokerage for three years and, and eventually realized that that business model doesn't really work very well for, for almost everyone involved. Hmm. And I ended up changing again. And today I am what I call a, a private transaction advisor. And so I work with buyers and sellers all around the world who are buying and selling businesses and I help them. And I basically coach them through the process and do the specialized tasks that people are not really equipped to do on their own.
0: Yeah. And what I love about your story, David, I mean, you you went through so many different phases in your career and you learned some of the pitfalls in the way it was done before. And then you created a better solution. Talk a little bit about that. What were some of the pitfalls that you saw that you wanted to improve on?
1: Sure. Normal business brokerage as it's practiced in many countries, is uh, based upon real estate. So, and the model that they have there. So, a business owner would come and talk with me and say that they wanted to sell their business, and I would help them evaluate the business and put an asking price on. And then I would try to find a, to, a buyer. And when the business was sold, I would earn a commission. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it seems on the surface pretty normal. But here, here are the problems. In order for a business broker to earn the kind of money that they deserve because these are professional people with a lot of specialized training and skills. Um, you need to charge a higher rate of commission because it's more difficult to sell a business. Mm-hmm. And, and when realist, you know, in the world of real estate, people sell homes in weeks or months and people sell commercial buildings, maybe in months or a couple of years. I had some of my listings for over three years. Wow. Right. It can take a long time to sell a business. So yeah. Uh, I mean, there was one case where I sold a fried chicken franchise restaurant and, you know, my commission was in the mid five figures for that deal, Mm. but I had worked for three years in order to get that check. And so when I sat back and took a look at the situation, I realized that for the sellers, they're often being asked to pay 10 or 12% as a commission rate for Mm. business brokerage, which is a huge chunk of the value that someone has worked hard to create, sometimes over 30 years, right? It's a big, big chunk. For the buyers, they're working with people, these intermediaries that they know are being paid by the seller and that they know are only being paid when the buyer buys a business. So there's always this concern that the the duty or the intent of that middleman is not aligned with the interest of the buyer, Mm -hmm. right? because the the middle person wants the buyer to buy in order to get paid. So the sellers don't like to pay the price, the buyers often doubt the integrity of the person in the middle, mm-hmm. and for the person in the middle, for the broker, what ends up happening is deals rarely close on time, they keep getting pushed out, you have to wait forever for it to get a deal closed, and so there's a real uncertainty in the cash flow. There's a real a roller coaster. So I had my business brokerage office for three years. I sold 36 businesses in three years. Mm-hmm. And on the surface, that sounds like a very even flow of work and, you know, a check every month kind of thing. But the reality is that in those three years, I went through three periods of nine months each with no closings. Ooh, ouch. So so it, you literally go from a feast period to a famine, famine period. period. Wow. Feast period. To, and it was it was really bad. I couldn't plan. You know, I've got two young children Mm -hmm. and I couldn't even create some sort of family budget where I would set aside a certain amount every month for their education plan, for example, because when I had money, I was afraid to spend it because I didn't know when for certain the next check was coming in. And then once the money was gone, you start to get into lines of credit in your credit card. And there's always a deal about to close and it never quite closes on time, ends up being delayed for one reason or another. And if you ever look up my photograph online, you'll see that I've got gray hair on the side of my head. Mm-hmm. And all of that gray hair comes from that time in my life. Wow. And I finally realized, you know what? It doesn't make sense. And and it, the deals never fell apart because buyers and sellers didn't want to do deals. Deals would fall apart because of all these other people that you have no control over. So I had one deal fall apart because a bank that had issued a funding letter rescinded it. They just changed their mind. I had a deal fall apart because and it was a franchise business and the buyer met with the franchise company and didn't get along with them and said I don't want to get into business with those guys. I don't you know, I don't like them. Uh another deal was for a business in a regulated industry so the buyer had to get a license from a government body mm-hmm. and they wouldn't give him a license. Oof. So the deal fell apart, not not because of the buyer, the seller the bank or me or anyone, but because of this uh, person in this government agency. Yeah. So <clears throat> there's a lack of control. And I, I finally left and I said, you know, I, I can't do this anymore. So I made an arrangement with one of my associates for them to take over the office. And I went and the worst thing that can ever happen to an entrepreneur, John, um, I went yeah. and got a job. I oh. got a job.
0: So <laughs> well, actually so I started, it, that that leads me into my question. I mean, you went through this roller coaster. Obviously, uh-huh. you know, uh, and I love the way you've you've just laid out the story for moving forward listeners. I mean, so was that uh, you know, was that your low point for you when you when you went back and got the quote unquote job? I mean, I, I always like to ask my guests, I mean, what was kind of your fall apart moment?
1: The the low point was twenty eleven. That was the year that I decided to get out of business brokerage. I got a job and learned that I was going to be getting a divorce. Hmm. Wow. So it was a triple whammy, 2011. It was easily one of the worst years that I can remember mm-hmm. um, in recent life. And so so I, I, I got this new role and um, I actually became a banker. I was in charge of uh, revolving credit facilities for midsize companies and I did a lot of travel in the car and and this is this is when the the you know sort of the big pivot moment started to happen i actually got a call one day on my cell phone when i was driving and uh it was someone who had been referred to me by someone else and they said you know i'm i'm i want to sell my business i heard that you can help me and i said well you know i'm not a business broker anymore you should call my former associate they can help you and i kind of dropped it at that and then a week later john another person called me <laughs>
0: And And they said, (laughs) it wouldn't leave you alone.
1: (laughs) Well, this other person said, I'm trying to buy a business and I've got all this information. I've got, you know, my, my attorney's giving me some advice and my accountant's giving me some advice, but I really need someone to help me through this negotiation. What should I do next? And while both of them are telling me what I need to end up with, neither of them are really telling me how to get there. Right. And so I said, I can help you. I, I know what to do. Um, but I have a job, right? And if I work with you, I'm going to have to be a consultant. I'll have to charge you by the hour and I can only work with you on evenings and weekends. And then I just, I just paused. I didn't say anything. And I started to count the seconds of dead air. And then finally the guy said, well, so then you can meet me Saturday at nine. Hmm. And I I said, yeah, I can meet you Saturday at nine. And, and it, what evolved was this little side hustle of me helping, people buy and sell businesses, which eventually evolved over about a two year period into uh, my full time, my full time thing that I do now. So
0: great story, David. One of the things I do want to ask, I mean, having gone through this, I mean, did you have hesitancy about doing this even as a side gig, given what you had gone through, you know, in your previous iteration of deals falling through at the last minute due to circumstances outside of your control?
1: No, I, I had no no misgivings or or pause about it at all because the the whole business model is different now. Yeah. So so now I basically have a menu of services and and people engage with me. So when I work with sellers, for instance, the first thing we do is an evaluation, and I do that work and I charge them, just like an attorney or an accountant would charge you for helping you with a legal issue or helping you with a tax return. I help. I get paid by people for doing the things that help them. And then at the end of the process, when I work with a the seller, there is no commission. Right. So, so it, I'm I'm com- no longer um, basing my worth on the contingency of some deal somehow someday happening. Yeah. I'm I'm basing myself on the value I deliver in the moment for my client, and they pay me for that value. That's great. So, so now I issue in my business today. I issue invoices every week, and people pay them, and so I have this eddy steady cash flow now, and no longer am I on that roller coaster? Yeah.
0: Well, you, something that you mentioned, David, and this leads perfectly into my next question. I mean, you did this as a side gig. Mm -hmm. At what point did you realize, you know, this has grown beyond a side gig and that you decided to leave that, uh, you know, leave the job and go back into this full time.
1: It was, it was the fact that the, my earnings were starting to pile up. So, so high. Um, I was realizing that it was very lucrative and then, and then there were winds of change in, uh, in my job and, and, uh, became obvious to a lot of people that there was going to be a reorg and people were going to have to leave. Yeah. And so I just, I, I let it be known that if people are going to have to go that, that they should approach me. Yeah. And, and so it really was the best of both worlds because I said, okay, well here, we'll give you this package. And then, uh, I already knew that I was lined up to, uh, to do turn my side hustle into a full-time thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, how empowering is that, though? I mean, most people, when they're in a corporate job, I worked in corporate America for a long time myself. I mean, the one thing that they're always afraid of is the annual musical chairs of, you know, a downsizing or a reorg. But here you are proactively. I mean, what was the reaction of of the people you worked with, of your superiors, when you said, hey, if there's a reorg coming, put me on the list? I mean, that's essentially what you did.
1: Well, uh, you know, it's interesting because when the reorg finally did come they they actually offered me some other positions. You talk really? about the musical chairs, and that's that's exactly what happened in my firm every year they would they would eliminate positions, but then they would create new ones they would mm-hmm. kind of rejuggle the org chart yeah and uh, and they they actually offered me some other jobs, but it would mean relocating to another city mm-hmm. and of course now I'm a divorced father of two right I'm sharing custody with my ex, which means you know I'm not moving anywhere yeah I've, I've got to stay right here and so it was very clear to them that that those options weren't going to be any that I was going to pursue. And so, you know, we, we all said our goodbyes and, and everyone was very cordial and, you know, I'm still Facebook friends with some of those people right. and, and and it really worked out fine. You, and I say this all the time to people who are in business and I'll say it to people who have a career, you are not your job, you mm-hmm. are not your business. These yeah. things are, are outside of ourselves, right? Yeah. And I've, you know, I've got so many good friends today who are former colleagues and, uh, you know, if, when people are good and good to each other, the, the the friendships that are created are going to surpass and outlive those, those you know, artificial bonds of where we work or what we do for a living.
0: Absolutely. And take that to heart, Moving Forward listeners. You are not your job. You are not your business. And such a great story, David.
1: Well, well I was just going to get back to that whole other point about risk because, I do a lot of live workshops and I, and I've got a YouTube channel and I get a lot of viewers who are people who are in jobs that they don't like mm-hmm. and and they're looking for those options or looking to get away and a lot of them are faced with the idea of entrepreneurship as a way to get out of a job they don't like. And I think that in our Western culture, particularly in North America, we have this romantic notion or this romantic idea around the startup. Yes. And I think it's an extension of that romantic notion around the old family homestead. Mm-hmm. You know, like 200 years ago in North America, most people lived on these little family farms. Right. Yeah. And, and we had these hero stories about great grandpa that came and he cut down the trees to plant, you know, the first crop and raise the chickens. And and then he was joined by grandma and then, he, you know, the family grew. And the sort of taming the land to create your own home and make it productive for you is exactly the same story yeah as the startup legend yeah i i had the idea i went out i made the sale i manufactured whatever it is and so we have this this notion of the rugged individual that creates something out of nothing and the problem with starting a new business is that in order to have success in business we need customers we need a proven product or system And very often when you start something from new, you have no customers, Yeah, right? And so I'm always telling people that if you want out of that corporate job you don't like, there's only really two paths that are are safe. Number one is you develop something on the side that that grows into your full-time thing. Or number two, you buy a business that's already successful Mm -hmm. and already has cash flow so that from day 1 you start right off and you've got that income to support yourself.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's super super important and I'm so glad you're illustrating that. And I actually had never thought of it before, but you're absolutely right. I mean, the the modern day entrepreneur is sort of taking the place of the cowboy, right? I mean, the the yeah. hero, the mythic legend and I'm so glad that you're you're pointing out kind of both sides to it and it, I think that's really important for moving forward listeners.
1: Well, if you go to if you go to a bookstore, you if you can find one, yeah you'll find hundreds of titles sometimes about different ways to start businesses yeah. you'll find a book like how to start a catering business how to and you're lucky to find two or three books in that store on how to buy a business yeah
0: yeah very true i mean in fact i mean i think there're a lot of people who aren't even aware that that's even an option so i'm i'm mm-hmm. really glad that you're highlighting that well david are you ready for the knowledge burst session Yeah, sure. All right. Well, this is one of my favorite parts of the show. I'm going to tweak it just a little bit because I am loving this conversation. So I love the process that you explained. I mean, you kept your day job. You you developed what you're doing now as a side gig. That's obviously that's that's not easy. I mean, with the time constraints, with the energy that you have to put in, and also you're you've got two kids. I mean, if you had to share one piece of advice for someone who is going to start something as a side gig, a weekend gig in your evening hours, what is that piece of advice that you'd like to pass on to that listener?
1: It has to be something where you can deliver extreme value that takes little of your own time. Mm. So in my case, because I had such specific knowledge about things like business valuation or or how to market a business or how to analyze one that someone may want to buy, I'm able to create a lot of value for that person uh, with very little of my own time. Right. So, you know, the other way to say that would be to sell something with a big margin. Right, right.
0: Oh, absolutely. No, I think that's great, great advice. How about time management? I mean, because that's something that I think a lot of people are curious about when it comes to starting a side gig.
1: Yeah, uh, as far as time management goes, my biggest thing would be never to use lists; always to use blocks. Okay. So you don't you don't find time; you schedule it.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: So when you know, before we got on the phone here today, I was talking with one of my clients, and he's agreed to go ahead with a project. So the very next thing I did was I went in and I created a block of time in my calendar for that project. Yeah. And now I may move that block a little bit if I have to talk to someone on the phone at that specific time. But the blocks never get deleted. They always have to be addressed. And so when you block out time, you're I can very easily look at my schedule right now. And if you said to me, David, I need you to have this done by Friday, I can tell you there's no way I can do it by Friday because I know my time already all blocked up but I can do it by Tuesday and knowing what you can get done and what you can't get done and when is key to managing expectation because more importantly than doing, I think than doing a good job or doing a good job on time is doing a good job on the timeline of the expectation you set for your client. Yeah. So we all have that experience with the plumber who said he'll show up at five o'clock and he never comes. Right. Right. It doesn't matter when they finally show up and do the job. It doesn't matter how good the job is. You're always going to be stung by the fact that they didn't show up when they said they were going to. Absolutely. And so it's the expectation that we have to manage more than anything else. Absolutely,
0: David, I'm excited to ask you, I mean, as someone who has done so much, uh, do you have a favorite app, website, or productivity practice that's been a real game changer for you and your business?
1: Um, yeah, for me, it's it's using the cloud-based stuff like Google Sheets and 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 the Google Documents. Um, being able to share in real time while talking on this on Skype or the telephone with a client has meant that you know, number one, it makes it easier to do business with people who are away. But I'm actively trying to keep treat any of my local clients as though they were away. Yeah, because you can waste so much time moving yourself your body from one place to another right you're driving around all that kind of stuff and uh, i've often said to clients who are in my own city um we need to do this over the phone or we need to do it over skype because if i have to bill you for all the time i'm away from my desk not working for other people uh you're not going to like that and you know you waste a ton of time trying to displace yourself to have face-to-face meetings I know if you, can, if you can do face-to-face business once or twice to establish a relationship, that's great. But you've got to get yourself into the virtual space so you don't waste time moving. Absolutely.
0: Good, good advice. And David, I'd like to ask you, I mean, as someone who's done so much and does so much, I mean, how do you recharge your batteries reboot when you feel like, you know, things are getting to you or you, you hit a roadblock or a wall?
1: I go into the forest. Mm. Um, so I'm an avid hiker and I love also to do some mountain biking and, um, you know, I live close to some really great hiking trails and, and that's my go-to for when I feel stressed out or I need to recharge to so get out amongst the trees yeah. and, and feel a little bit more connected to nature.
0: I love it. Hey, moving forward listeners. You can find links to many of the books and resources mentioned by today's guest, along with offers to try out Audible and Amazon Prime. These are affiliate links for which I receive a small commission, which helps the podcast and is greatly appreciated. You can find these on the write-up for today's episode at bemovingforward.com. David, are you ready to do a little time travel? Yeah, sure. All right, we're gonna go back in time. We're gonna step into a time machine. You're gonna pick the date and time. You're gonna visit your past self. And the only requirement I have is visit your past self when you're going through maybe a difficult period or may have a hard decision to make. What is one piece of advice or tip or lesson that you'd like to pass on to your prior self?
1: Oh, well, that would be to go back in time to uh, probably, what, about 1999 Mm -hmm. probably. And I would probably simply tell myself to sell that Nortel stock. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> good advice how about more on the general life path <laughs> advice
1: um it's it's a great question john but i honestly i i don't think i would want to change anything yeah. i've been through some real painful places yeah but you know they, they, they those really sharp samurai swords and things you know they they get that way because they're stuck in fire yeah right Absolutely. and, and you, you have to put yourself through the trials and and I think that if I went back in time and I warned myself against some of the some of the really bad times that I had to go through, I just wouldn't be the person I am. Well,
0: let me reframe that a little bit then. So go back to when you're going through a difficult time and you're not sure what what lies ahead. I mean, is there any piece of wisdom that you can give to your past self on how to kind of see your way through it, to endure it. Not necessarily the change the events, but maybe change your perspective, your mindset to let yourself know, hey, you know what? It's going to be okay.
1: Yeah. Actually, it would be what I've already, I think, mentioned earlier today is that you are not your business. Mm. I remember when I, was, when, when I was going through 2011, towards the end, when I made the decision that I had to get out of the business brokerage office. One of the paralyzing fears that was keeping me up at night was the concern that people who knew me would somehow construe my decision as, oh, David has failed. Yeah. You know, David isn't as smart as he thought he was or or what have you. And it really was scary for me. Yeah. And then once the decision was made and I moved on, I felt liberated. Like, mm. uh, you know, this huge weight had been removed from my shoulders and I think that if I was ever going to really give myself some advice in my past, I would, it would be to not be afraid, to really understand that a business is an asset outside of yourself. It's like a little machine whose job it is, is to produce money. Yeah. And if the machine is broken, if it's not producing the money, then you either have to figure out how to fix it or you got to move on to the next one. Yeah. Right. And you can't get bogged down worrying about what other people may think.
0: That's good advice. Well, here's the flip side. How do you think your past self would have re- responded to that advice?
1: Oh, you know, I don't know. Do you, you, I tell my kids all the time things like, don't climb up there. You're going to fall <laughs> down and get hurt. And, uh, you know, that they, they believe me once they fall.
0: Yeah. <laughs> good advice. <laughs> A good, Good way to frame that, I think. Well, David, how can our listeners connect with you and learn about all of the great work that you're doing?
1: Yeah, sure. Um the, the central nervous system is at davidcbarnett.com. That's my blog site and they're going to find hundreds of blog posts about buying, selling and managing small businesses. And if anyone out there is really interested in purchasing a small business as a way to get out of a corporate job they don't enjoy, then I would recommend they go to businessbuyeradvantage.com, which is all about the journey of buying a business and there's an online course and everything where they can learn in detail how to go through that that process and uh, be more informed so make a mistake when buying a business
0: and we'll have all of that on the write-up well david i would love for you to close out the show so using no more than three to five words what parting wisdom would you like to pass on to moving forward listeners
1: well i i guess i would have to say the the terms are often more
0: important than the price yeah Good advice. Moving Forward listeners, once again, you can check it out at bemovingforward.com. David, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us today to share your journey and your knowledge burst so that our listeners can be inspired to move forward. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. And Moving Forward listeners, follow us on social media at Be Moving Forward, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. Join us next Tuesday for another extraordinary guest. Have a great week and remember... Always be moving forward. Now it's time for you to move forward and unlock the extraordinary in you. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and Bali Solutions, LLC. All rights reserved.